0: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the start of something that I've done before, but I'm making a regular feature of Real Jam Radio, and that is doing a tiers episode at the beginning of every month. And so the reason I want to do that is it's a good way of calibrating everything. It will be with a different guest every time, or at least almost every time. And then we go through where we have teams in the Eastern and Western conferences. This time we start with the West and my guest is the great Kevin Pelton, ESPN insider, fantastic thinker about the NBA and I, I really wanted him for this one just because I knew he'd put a lot of a lot of time into it and thought into it and he certainly did and it actually inspired me to change a couple of my opinions during it for some of the ones that I was on the margins for. And conversation runs about an hour 15 might end up being a little longer depending on what what gets cut and how long and yeah, we so we go through everybody. We go through teams. We get in discussions about where you're fitting it in. And instead of explaining it now, I'll let Kevin explain his define his terms and how we did this because it is hard with tears because you can do it on a a couple different rationales. And so I explain that I will let each guest every time define their own wh- one, and then I will work within their definition because that seems the most fair. They're the ones who are coming on the show. This episode is sponsored by. Blue Apron, the fantastic food delivery service. You can go to blueapron.com slash real GM and you can get three meals for free. And that includes free shipping and also sponsored by Audible. You can go to www.audible.com slash try now and you can get a free audiobook and a one month trial subscription. Hopefully you check both those out. Again, the conversation runs probably about an hour 15, hour 20, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Hey, always a pleasure to join you.
0: I'm excited to kind of start, even though I've done tears with other people, but started as kind of a real project with you. And I know this was something that when we proposed it, ended up producing some real tough decisions in all of this. But I thought the best place to start was just to lay out what your thought process was in terms of how you were dividing the teams.
1: Yeah, so my thought about it is where they're going to finish in terms of the the playoffs. I think that's probably at this point the most interesting way to think about it. There are obviously some discrepancies between that and then what we think teams are going to do in the playoffs, particularly in the case of teams that have injuries right now. But, you know, I think that kind of clarifies who we expect to get there. And that's that's the first question at this point. Right.
0: Yeah, and then the other part that I use is I call it the surprise test, which is basically that how I separate out the tiers is it's the teams that I would be surprised if they fell out or if some other team went in. So, like, it's not a hard and fast thing. Like, there are some teams that are really challenging with this, but that's kind of the rule that I use to figure out. Like, if I'm getting there, so I'm throwing out, let's say, a team being like, oh, are they tier two or tier three? It's like, oh, well, where where what would surprise me? And that's how I do it. That makes sense. We're going to start with the West... I assume you want to start at the top as opposed to the bottom?
1: I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's actually better to go the reverse way. We can do that. We, yeah, or the, I don't know, actually. Then are we going to turn people off if we start off with a bunch of talk about the Dallas Mavericks and then... Yeah, that's to the true. The yeah, let, let, let's, uh, st-
0: let's start at the top and pull them in, but we can go bottom to top in the East. Okay, I like that. We'll do that. it that way.
1: I have the Warriors alone in my first tier. I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, to me, I think they're going to... You know, This notion that the Clippers might jump them for home court advantage has been pretty short-lived.
0: I would have them in a tier by themselves if we were later in the season and this dynamic still held, but there's enough time that I see it as a possibility. So I actually have them in tier one with two other teams, but it would, that was another one of my close calls and it ties in with something that I felt about the Eastern Conference.
1: Yeah, it's fair. It also depends how many tiers you see. But I, I do think the Warriors are in a class by themselves. And, you know, if you look at the projections at this point, have them at that point. Five thirty-eight has them winning eight more games than anyone else in the league. BPI, ESPN's basketball power index has them winning six more games than the Clippers in second. So, you know, I think they I think they're comfortably ahead of everyone else.
0: They had a favorable start just in terms of back-to-backs. It's something that I've been looking at. I built a whole database for the Warriors schedule at the beginning of the year, and that fades away. But I don't think that's why they won a lot of these games. Like For example, they beat the Hawks last night. I don't think that was necessarily because the Hawks were on a back-to-back, and that was in some ways the maybe their most favorable game like that, other than the Mavericks game where they sat everyone. But that they weren't going to lose anyway.
1: And there's going to be games like that probably going forward where, you know, I think there is going to be some strategic thinking. If we're going to sit everyone on one game of back to back, let's do it on the game. We're probably not going to win anyway.
0: That's how it should be. I, I still am a little bit mad at the Wizards, though. I understand why they did it for different pressures. But they played John Wall in a home game against the Cavs, which they lost, and then didn't play him in a road game against an inferior opponent, which they also lost.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a tough 0 for 2 to take.
0: It is so. So you have the Warriors in tier one. Then who is your tier two?
1: Uh, Clippers in San Antonio in tier two.
0: I, I had the same thing. I you know I bounced around a little bit on whether to include someone else. So I have them all in tier one. But it's the same basic decision. And I feel like I've lost track a little bit of how good the regulars, the Spurs are as a regular season team. I, I still have these questions about them in the playoffs that have not yet been resolved. But they're still incredibly strong.
1: Well, I think the one thing that kind of threw us is them losing three games so early at home when they only lost one all last season. But, you know, it probably speaks more to the, uh, the transience from season to season of home court advantage for a specific team that doesn't play at altitude more than it does them actually being a worse team because then lo and behold, they're what, eight and no, nine and no on the road?
0: Well, I believe they are. And also the, the sheer timing of it all. So they lost to the Jazz in san antonio and then it was either the next night or two nights later they beat utah i think it was pretty cleanly on the road again and i think for me it was because it happened in that order i went oh look at the spurs losing oh maybe that maybe that's good for the jazz and all that and then i i sort of discounted the second game even though they count just the same and it was equally important in a lot of ways
1: uh they're actually 10-0 on the road uh, so Ooh, i shortchanged sure. them a little bit and it's settled the spurs need to avoid home court advantage in the playoffs at all costs I mean, if,
0: if assuming it ends up being Clippers and Spurs going for the 2-3, it feels like both of those teams would benefit a lot from it, even without knowing what happens in 6-7 and not to foreshadow it too heavily. But I think that could be another line of demarcation, too.
1: Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, from a point differential standpoint, Clippers still destroying the Spurs, uh, plus 10.4 to San Antonio is plus 5.8. The fact that the Spurs have played such a road-heavy schedule actually may be a factor in that. I still think the Clippers of these two teams are the better team, and and even probably in the regular season, let alone the playoffs, but I think they're close enough that they definitely belong in the same tier.
0: Both teams are also very reliant on a few key players. And so the idea of injury risk, I think is fairly even between those two, you know, like, yeah, if Chris Paul goes out, the Clippers are going to be screwed. If Kawhi Leonard goes out, it's exactly the same for the Spurs. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So next year was probably the hardest in some ways for me in the, in the West to do just to figure out who was in and who was out. Do you want me to go first? Sure. So my tier two is the jazz, the Rockets and the Blazers. And I did do this after the Mike Conley news.
1: Yeah, and I think the Jazz and the Rockets are pretty uncontroversial there. If you were betting on it today, those are the two teams I think you'd bet on to, or to have the best chance of getting the fourth seed and, and joining those teams with home that we've already mentioned with home court advantage. Portland then is going to be the question mark whether they belong in this tier or the one below it. I had them in the tier below.
0: Okay. So did you have a just Jazz Rockets or do you have somebody else in there?
1: I had just Jazz Rockets.
0: So we're both more confident on them than on Portland. Would you say that Utah would probably have a, a greater a greater difference in terms of home court considering the altitude and everything else?
1: Yeah, they're one of the, you know, them and Denver are the two teams that consistently have had greater home court advantages than everyone else that, you know, it doesn't really regress to that average of all home court advantages. So yeah, getting the fourth seed could be really enormous for them. We saw a couple of Utah-Houston first-round series back in the mid-2000s. I think actually one of those, Utah won in Houston in Game 7, right? I think so, yeah. And, and maybe 2000, 2008 or 2007. So to me, Portland, you know, I think they're going to work through how poorly they've defended without al Camino because he is eventually going to come back. And we've seen this before where the Blazers really ultra-conservative defensive style, it leads itself, I think, to more variability within a season. So some years they start well. You think back to, I think that was 2013-14 uh, 2000, when they got off to such a great unexpected start. And then last year, you know, they struggled defensively the first two months of the season really turned it on the after that, and ended up fifth in the Western Conference. So I, th- I think it's more like that that last year season. But I still think they're probably more in the the forty three, forty four win range than they are forty four, thirty three, forty five win range. Somewhere in there than the you know forty eight to fifty two I'd expect from Utah and Houston.
0: I've been very impressed overall with how Utah has been able to weather this storm. They've been dealing with injuries all over their roster. They're still sixth in net rating right now, and they've gotten a little bit more now with Hayward being back. But if you were to tell me that they were going to be healthy-ish for the next 55 games, I would have them. I might even have them in a tier by themselves. But the fact that they've already dealt with all this and they have a a roster that's, you know, that, that they do need their best guys. It's just that they're also still really deep. I think they're one of those ones that could have ended up in a tier by themselves. And, you know, when I'm doing this, hopefully a month from now, maybe they will be. But for right now, I think they have to be here with the Rockets.
1: One of the lessons I think I've taken from the last couple of years is as much as depth can help you survive injuries, I don't think it can completely compensate for them. And we saw that (laughs) the other team that I would put in that category, we'll get to them, obviously, in the Eastern Conference is the Celtics, who it turns out they're a lot better team when they have Jay Crowder and Al Horford. (laughs)
0: And that goes also into the idea of replacements is that, you know, you're, you're, or even in the Celtics case, the replacements of your replacements. So when you move a guy up. That can sometimes be the bigger issue. We're probably going to see that in Memphis. You know, when you play Andrew Harrison, 28 minutes or whatever it's going to be, that's a problem. But you also have to slide somebody in. And Tyler Zeller was one of the big flaws for the Celtics. And they were plenty deep. I mean, they have a series of big men. They also had a big problem that Memphis is also dealing with because everything's going wrong in Memphis right now, of having multiple guys in the same broad position group injured at the same time, which is also a great way to hemorrhage depth and just kind of get hit in a way that you can't really handle.
1: Yeah, which is uh, something that's tough to model going in. I guess my question about Houston, do you think that they've changed tiers at all in your mind? I mean, did you have them in that Utah-Portland tier before the season?
0: They were right kind of in tier two and tier three with me. I think I ended up settling with them in tier three, but their offense has been better than I expected. Their defense still sucks, but I'm broadly okay with that as long as this keeps up. Their big concern is... Again, they're exceedingly top heavy. Like if they lose Harden for ten to fifteen games, they're going to lose a large portion of those just because he is such so central to their identity. They're pretty resilient everywhere else, even even with but without Beverly. I mean, I think they got a lot better having him in instead of Ennis, but they could survive that. But Harden, Harden is part of the reason why at this point I would like I, it's too early, but later on I might have the Jazz by themselves.
1: Did you intend that as a segue to talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder?
0: sort of yeah it, it so 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 you have the blazers in the next tier down i do and then do you have the i'm assuming the thunder are in that but yeah the thunder are exactly the same boat the reason why i don't have them in tier 2 is a they're i think they're worse right now and they might even be more dependent on westbrook than the rockets are on harden it's a close call
1: It'll be interesting to see what happens when Cameron Payne returns, assuming that happens sometime soon, because Samaje Christian is so out of his depth as a rotation point guard right now that even if Cameron Payne isn't that much better than he was last season, I still think he'll be an enormous upgrade in that regard and and help reduce the differential where they're so, so bad with Westbrook on the bench.
0: Yeah, it was the same problem with Tyler Ennis, you know, that yep. that if your third string guy is so bad, then having your backup's a huge help.
1: Yep. Even, even if that player isn't great on their own, it's really just about that relative differential. So then uh, I think maybe the one controversial thing is I do have Memphis in this tier along with Oklahoma City and Portland.
0: Okay, so you have, you have have Mem- so is that your tier three? Uh,
1: that would be my tier four since I have the, the extra oh. tier at the top.
0: Oh, that's right, right, right. Okay, so you have that. Mine might even be more controversial because I do not make a demarcation between the Thunder, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Lakers, and the Wolves.
1: That's interesting. I, I mean, I I think on a pure like underlying talent standpoint, I'm with you. But the, the wins they've banked count for a lot. I think
0: they they certainly do. And but but I think where I'm where I'm concerned with that and why I put them in the same tier is that well, first of all, Memphis is in kind of a different thing. You you wrote a really good piece which came out right before this about how would you ballpark it that the this loss is probably somewhere around four wins for them.
1: Yeah, three to four wins, I think. Yeah. So
0: that that pushes them. I think pushes them into this tier for both of us. But why I have the Pelicans and Lakers and Wolves there is that I feel like they've played below their talent level so far, and it's not that big a jump because I believe the Thunder... And the Grizzlies, especially with, with Conley being out, have played above it for the time being, so that pushes them together. I'm fine with separating it, but I was surprised with myself that when I started doing it and I'm like, well, should I really put the Pelicans, especially after today, should I put the Pelicans in a different tier than the Grizzlies? And banked wins is exceedingly important. Like That's a great point to make, but I, I just wasn't comfortable doing it.
1: What I think is interesting in looking at the statistical projections, the playoff projections, is what a line they draw between Denver and Minnesota. I had assumed because Minnesota's point differential was pretty good, partially fattened up by that— That Memphis game. —over Memphis, yeah, that uh, that they would be right there with Denver. But Denver's at 38 in BPI, 40 on 538— Uh, as opposed to Minnesota, which is at 35 on 538 and 34 on BPI. A pretty comfortable difference between those two teams, even though I I also have them in the same tier. I just have them a tier below.
0: Before Kevin and I continue our conversation on the Western Conference tiers and get into the stacked Eastern Conference tiers, I want to take a moment to talk about Blue Apron. Blue Apron is a fantastic food delivery service. It's something that I've really grown to love and make a highlight of my week since I started it more than a few months ago now. It's been a while. And an example of that is a great potato and bechamel pizza one focaccia bread that I made over the last week was great. I've never actually made a bechamel sauce before. I liked it. And sauces are something that, for whatever reason, is intimidating to me. Made a few different aiolis and sauces through Blue Apron that I've really liked and made again. And one of those is actually this pizza because I made a modified version of it after doing it, I think that was early last week, and then made another one over the weekend, modified it a little bit. And that's something else that Blue Apron can give you. Beyond excellent ingredients, it can be ideas and confidence for things that you've never done before. So for me, it was that bechamel sauce and and the pizza itself. And it can be all over. The quality of the ingredients is incredible. A standout, as always, is the seafood. I've had some really good, I think it was a cod dish a couple weeks ago that really stood out. It's all sustainably sourced, it uses the seafood watch and as the brother of a marine biologist, that is certainly something that is important to me. And part of the reason why I love Blue Apron and their relationship with Real GM radio is that you if you want to try it out, it doesn't cost you anything. You go to blueapron.com slash real GM, just like the show, just like the site, and you get three meals for free and that includes free shipping. You can use that time. I fully expect that you will fall in love with it the way that I did. But you get that opportunity. You don't have to spend any money. So you go to BlueApron.com slash RealGM. I'm, I'm hoping and expecting that you will enjoy it, that you will keep on getting it. It's very reasonably priced. It's less than $10 a meal, which is great considering the quality of the ingredients and what you get from the experience. So again, one more time, BlueApron.com slash RealGM. And now back to the conversation with Mr. Kevin Pelton. And we're also in the point with some of these teams, and Denver I think is the best example, I just did a podcast with Adam Morris talking about this, with that they still haven't identified from what I can tell whether they're going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline, because they have this fun concoction of talent and they could kind of go either way because they have a lot of different guys and when i can't tell whether they're going to buy or they're going to sell then i'm going to be a little bit more cautious with it because if they wanted to they could move gallinari they can move basically whoever they wanted to and fall fall off but they haven't proven that they're not a playoff team yet especially with memphis right now so why not go for it at least for another couple months
1: can you prove a negative some people can. Uh, I probably can't. I can't in this case. <laughs> you know, I he- heard uh, Zach Lowe was discussing this on the most recent Lowe post about whether, you know, Denver would be buyers or sellers at the deadline. And the thought that popped into my head somewhat randomly, I guess it was two Low posts ago, uh, was the possibility of them being both buyers and sellers. And I was thinking- I love of, that idea. Yeah. There was a trade deadline several years ago, like early in Billy Bean's 10-year Where the A's traded their closer, their veteran closer, I think it was like Billy Taylor or someone, but they also then traded for Jason Isringhausen, and it turned out that he was just as good, but also younger. I mean, like I'm not sure that they're going to pull off that kind of coup, but something like that, where yeah, maybe you trade Gallinari because you don't think he's going to come back as a free agent, but you're also making you're making that deal in conjunction with some sort of other big deal to get a veteran.
0: It's going to be exciting to see how their players are valued around the league, because they have a lot of divisive guys that could be on the block. Kenneth Freed is probably the most obvious example of that, where some teams are probably going to really like him just as a holdover from years ago, and other teams are just not going to want to touch it because of the years remaining on his contract. And Will Barton's another one, because Barton is on an unbelievably good contract. He's begging about $3.5 for the next two years. And then is unrestricted, which is part of the reason why I would consider moving him if I was Denver. The other part of that is just that they have Jamal Murray and they have Gary Harris. And I would also this is one of my more kind of off the wall ideas with that is that I would consider if anybody was interested selling high in Gary Harris, this deadline, not right now, because you can't sell high on him when he's coming back from injury. But in February, maybe.
1: Interesting, because of the fact that you're such a big Jamal Murray believer?
0: Because I'm a Jamal Murray believer, but it's also the idea that selling early on a guy who is probably not one, going to be one of the best players on your next great team is better than selling low. Like, waiting a year too late with Gary Harris could be really bad for them.
1: I mean, I think the nice thing with him, you know, depending on how expensive he gets, is he's just such a good complementary piece that sort of whatever else you build, he can fit in with it, I think.
0: Sure. Uh, the that's, interesting... that's why i love their backcourt originally was because you can play all three of those right. guys together and then dude injuries and other thing and comfort they're playing jimmy or nelson a lot and it's just killing my heart a little bit
1: the guy who to me is a sell-high candidate for them is wilson chandler because mm-hmm. he's a guy that tons of teams could use like virtually every good team needs a player like wilson chandler and then i don't think he's capable of sustaining this level for an entire season so i think there is a sell-high opportunity
0: also another player like alinari where unquestionably talented but questionable whether they're a little bit old to be a part of the next great nuggets team and it's kind of the idea of just how you want how you view your own relevance is very very important for a front office here and so it's like do you want to kind of maintain so as those guys age eventually they get supplanted by guys like Moody and murray or do you want to burst all at the same time, get a little bit younger and go after it because Chandler and Gallo are both going to have a lot of interest because they're really good basketball players. They have team friendly contracts. Chandler has another year on this deal and wings are always needed.
1: Now I should preface this by saying I have no idea who this would be, but what if their win now move was for a point guard? I'd be fine with it. Yeah.
0: Like Eric Bledsoe.
1: That's an intriguing name.
0: I have put the Suns in like the it as a key piece in like all of these random trades I've thought of, like Demarcus Cousins and all that, because they have a nice collection of talent, but they're pretty obviously not that good. So it's it's a great fit to make to make some sort of interesting bold move and they have a front office that has shown the penchant to do that.
1: <laughs> uh sometimes for better, sometimes for worse.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Including in the case of your fellow husky.
1: Yeah. I guess both, you know, both ways. <laughs> I guess the other guy, the other thing we should talk about with the Nuggets is, is there any consideration of doing something with one of their centers? I mean, this doesn't seem like the time to trade a center, but it doesn't seem like those guys are ever going to be maximized playing on the same roster.
0: The approach that I would use right now, and I have a feeling that the Nuggets front office is exactly in this place, is that you always listen and you hope that somebody makes a mistake, but that you don't expect it to happen now because – Jokic and Nurkic are both incredibly talented guys, and you you have to bet on ceiling when you're a team that's hard to get that has trouble getting free agents. Because if one of those guys ends up really improving in the next two years, they provide more value than anything you can probably get in a trade, unless another team gives you overvalues them basically.
1: Or maybe it's something else at a different position. I mean, maybe that's that's the answer. You just don't think those guys can ultimately coexist. But uh, we've we've probably talked enough about Denver, especially since you just so recently discussed them.
0: Ah, it's fine. So Oklahoma City, we both have them kind of in this group below the other teams like the Jazz and the Rockets, and I have them below the Blazers. What gives you pause with them?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, I uh, their their lack of shooting and 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 scoring outside of the backcourt, I guess, and, and canter. Um, I don't really
0: believe in their defense either. That it's this good, as good as it's been so far,
1: and it's not been as good recently. You know, right. I, I think we've seen it come back to earth quite significantly after that first those first few games. They're outside the top they were outside the top 10 as of yesterday. I haven't updated it for today, but I don't think that performance against the Knicks was going to get them back in the top 10.
0: No, I I don't think so either. And they have due to their personnel and also due to how they're being deployed like there are a lot of different types of players and teams that can give them trouble. And that's always that's something I'd like to look for in terms of regular season success is like is a team like like so? for example the Spurs, like the Spurs are going to beat They have certain squads that are going to give them a lot of trouble, but overall, through execution, through depth, through everything else, they're going to win a lot of those coin flip games. They're going to win a lot of games that are kind of in the middle. The Thunder, Westbrook has given up, if you want to give him blame, give everyone blame they've given up a lot of strong point guard performances so far even against guys like Ish Smith that aren't particularly great and then a good power forward all that kind of stuff and so i just see them struggling game by game and we've seen some surprising losses from them already including that game to the pacers without paul george
1: yeah that's that's an ugly one uh 538 has them intriguingly in a tier of their own is the only team between 50 and 41 in the west in their projections right at 47 wow. only yeah. team
0: between 50 and 41 that's a huge yeah, range
1: it is uh, especially at this point in the season. BPI, I think, is closer to where I view them as them at 44 wins, although also in the midst of a huge a gap between 41 and 50. Actually, both of those projection systems agree, and both have Portland, I think, much lower than probably we'd subject we have them.
0: And would that be partially due to the, the whole injury thing with Aminu?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't really tell in these projections the difference between playing poorly because of injuries and playing poorly because you just underachieved.
0: Yeah, but you, but you can cuz I know you did some of that with Conway, you, you in your own projections you can do that, right?
1: Yeah, one well, I mean one thing I looked at the other day was uh looking at basically if you knew what minutes guys had played to date, what would the RPM projection for each team have been? Oh, that's and cool. It, yeah. Surprisingly, OKC's was actually quite high uh despite the Cameron Payne injury. It's it actually had them at 49, I guess because of the fact that Westbrook has stayed healthy and played more minutes perhaps than we expected.
0: Yeah, he's had, a, he's had a big workload, and yeah, they haven't dealt with too much in terms of injuries, which has been fortunate.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a concern, is maybe you get Cameron Payne back, and then all of a sudden you lose someone else, and you plug one hole and, and another opens up.
0: Have you had any strong feelings on Oladipo this year? I've been conflicted on him basically for his entire NBA career.
1: It's interesting because watching him, it seems like he's become much more of a three and D kind of guy playing alongside Westbrook, which is probably inevitable if you're playing next to a guy with a 40% usage rate. Uh, He he seems useful in that role, but it also is a little bit limiting.
0: Yeah, it it certainly is. And I would like to see him. I'm surprised that they haven't really done a full stagger that I've seen with him playing, kind of running the offense without considering how much samaj christian has struggled agreed but we're talking again about oklahoma city's having a weird issue with, with staggering so I, I can understand being in that boat again
1: and i did look at this the other day and i don't think yeah. oladipo individually at least has not played that well when he's been with westbrook he's been really inefficient in those situations but probably still better than samaj christian
0: yeah i want to do some digging on that okay so you so that tier for you is portland okc memphis and denver
1: I do not have Denver in that. You tier. do not
0: have Denver. Okay. Maybe so I then, should. So then your next tier is uh, so then what's your next tier? Because I have them all together. So
1: Denver, Minnesota, LA Lakers.
0: Okay. And then Minnesota. So Minnesota. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm not ready to walk the Lakers up into a likely playoff spot tier, but I do think they've justified playoff contender tier at this point.
0: They've impressed me. Well, you know, they had some bad losses during the stretch. They've done better missing guys than I ever anticipated, which gets into the idea that Luke Walton has made a lot of their kind of fringy players more valuable.
1: That's Yeah, I mean, he's empowering guys. It's something we've talked about with Terry Stotts in Portland a lot, you know, really focusing on getting guys to do what they can do well and and not do what they don't do well. So, you know, 538 has them at a 23% chance to make the playoffs, and that seems about right to me.
0: It does. We'll, we'll see if the Memphis stuff is knocking them down a little bit, but I just don't see the Lakers. The, the issue with that, it's the kind of the same thing I saw at the beginning of the year. They're way better, but you have to bank like a, basically like have a win streak and things like that in order to make the playoffs because you're going to, everybody's going to have ruts. That's just inevitable with the system. You know, you're never going to go a whole season unless you're, I think the Warriors did this for a while, but go with a whole season without losing consecutive games. And so if you're going to lose two or three or four in a row, then you need to be able to win three or four in a row. And the Lakers are feisty. They're going to win a lot of games they shouldn't. But I don't think they have enough to really do that. So basically, if the playoffs come to them, I could certainly see it happening. But I don't think, from what I've seen, that they're going to really push into like that low 40s or even mid-40s
1: range. It'd still be a surprise at this point. I mean, the, the projections have them around 35 wins on average.
0: I like how I'm talking myself out of the Lakers in this (laughs) tier, which is what I put myself in. But okay, so let's talk about Lakers versus Pelicans. So I I, I think that the Pelicans have a better chance, but they're still so star-dependent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would feel better about the Pelicans if I felt like, oh, they're definitely going to stay healthy going forward. But why are we expecting that they're not going to, you know, they're not obviously going to have Drew Holiday away from the team, you know, for a completely non-injury related reason like he was early in the season. But this isn't necessarily guaranteed to get better going forward.
0: And they've also had a largely healthy Anthony Davis and he's pretty regularly missed. I think it's about, it's about 15 games a season, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think a minimum of 15 games a season. Yeah. So there
0: are seasons where he missed a lot more. And so if, if we're pricing that in, because they they really can't win with any regularity without him. And I'm not willing to say, oh, well, if they get Tyreek Evans back, it's going to help them a lot considering how much time Tyreek has missed.
1: Right. And we don't just don't know where he's going to be as a player when he gets back. So I still have them in the lower tier alongside Sacramento and somewhat reluctantly the Dallas Mavericks.
0: Reluctantly in what sense?
1: That I feel like I probably should be writing them off, but I am not quite there yet. Maybe because they beat New Orleans the other night.
0: It feels weird for me. I have Dallas in my lowest tier to have them there considering how much I believe in Rick Carlisle, but they have so much strength as a, as an organization that I think they can, they can handle that better than some other teams. It's kind of a parallel to Miami in the sense of like they, they can handle tanking if that's what comes better than let's say a team like the Pelicans where their GM is fighting for his job.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is about incentives and then security all of those factors and obviously in dallas there's the ultimate job security because the owner is the guy who basically runs basketball operations
0: also i don't know how how realist they are realistic i guess they are in terms of free agency but i mean they've had good years and still not gotten guys and they and all that kind of thing so depending on how they're trying to swing this and a lot of that also depends on dirk for obvious reasons that they have to, you know, maybe having that rough year, but getting, you know, let's say getting one of the guys in this point guard class brings more optimism than fighting for the playoffs and missing it or or anything like that. If they're even capable of reaching that point,
1: yeah, I mean, the, I I think you know you can want to make the playoffs all you all you want. Like only eight teams are going to do it, and most of those teams haven't started as poorly as the uh, as the Mavericks have.
0: I think I was talking offhand with Nate one day, and he talked about how. Dallas would in many ways be the perfect destination for Markel Fultz.
1: I said something similar in my chat a couple of weeks ago, I think, where and you talk about the uh, the pick and roll game that they have. And and one of the things that has been kind of impressive this year is the fact that that is sort of held up even without Dirk in the lineup. You know, certainly when it yeah. was healthy, Seth Curry's had his moments, even Jonathan Gibson. So, yeah, you put a guy like Fultz into that and look out.
0: And I, I would be really excited to see a high ceiling guard with rick carlisle and a system, because he's going to be there and to give basically to have the is uh, the structural incentives with a guy like Markell to develop him as they see fit and having again the structural the structural stability to say we can we can use this guy best so whether that be playing him right away whether that be going in a lot of different directions and carlisle can manage that well cuban can manage that well and it would also give them A a kind of an organizational focus that I feel like they've kind of lacked where it's just been, hey, let's get the best guy that's available and we'll work from there. They've used Dirk to a point, but they but you know, you do reach kind of the beggars can't be choosers element of it. But if they had Fultz or Dennis Smith or Lonzo, they could say, "Okay, this is this is the pivot point now for us.
1: Although devil's advocate here. Is As friendly as his system is to lead ball handlers, Ricarla has also historically been very difficult on those guys, and especially young Correct. players, so maybe maybe it, it would require an adjustment on his part, too.
0: It, it would, and that's a good point. He hasn't had to deal that much with those kind of young guys recently. I mean, Justin Anderson even has kind of been marginalized because they happen to be one of the few teams that has been able to pull wings in for agency, which is impressive in many ways, but... I also like, I'm wondering if the Dirk, so basically what happened with Dirk eventually was that when they were trying to do a bunch of different things, they were going to originally give him, I think it was 20 million this year and then give him a partial guarantee of 5 million next year. They were able to give him 25 this year and then make next year a team option. I don't know at this point, it's still too early, how that affects the process, but I feel confident that it will because it just gives them so much more flexibility.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're going to have such a hard time going on in a free agency that I wouldn't be surprised if you know they either just pick that up or still sign Dirk to something similar uh, as a free agent.
0: I think they'll do, if he wants to come back, they'll do the approach where they say, we will pay you in this range and where it goes in that range depends on who we get in free agency.
1: That seems like a reasonable position.
0: It's kind of like what I think what mo- happened to Manu. Was that this year? Yeah, it was this year because last year he took the huge pay cut.
1: Yeah, this year he uh, he got the leverage. He leveraged the offer from Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. Brian Colangelo give, do, giving them all the favors to to all these veteran players. I, I still want to see if he does that for Monty Younis.
1: Hmm, now that's not. interesting probably not given the number of centers already on the philadelphia roster
0: yeah can you imagine how how happy new Orleans Noel would be if they're like hey we just <laughs> signed we just signed Monty Yunis to a to a three-year deal or 30 million or whatever it would be
1: you also probably wouldn't trade for Ursan Ilyasova if you expected to, to add Monty Yunus.
0: I think they're going to trade Ilyasova and I think they're going to get value
1: back for him which would
0: be incredible
1: yeah that'd be a nice little flip
0: Cause he's been, mo- he's been moved. I haven't written this piece yet. At some point I might the idea of like what Ersan Ilyasova has been traded with and for over the last two years is absolutely fascinating.
1: You can connect basically any player in the league to Ersan Ilyasova within five trades.
0: He's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Somebody can make that document and I will definitely enjoy it. Okay. So, so then your, so your bottom tier, is it just Kings, Suns, Mavs? Oh, and uh- Pelicans.
1: I have Phoenix and then in, in, in a tier by themselves at the bottom.
0: Okay, so you have them as the kind of the sole the sole bottom feeder, the spot that we probably both thought the Lakers would be in.
1: Oh, definitely thought the Lakers would be in. Yes, I mean I thought they would be there with Phoenix, but uh, I thought that they would be there.
0: Phoenix has a lot of reasons to be optimistic down the line, but it still feels a long way away, and that I I'm. I don't know what to do with Eric Bledsoe with that because he's not so old that it's an obvious decision and he's on such a team-friendly contract. But if it takes two years to figure this out, then what are you kind of doing there?
1: The other thing is his knee is a bit of a ticking time bomb. It's, not, it it's similar to Brook Lopez in Brooklyn.
0: Right. And both of those teams have don't have a ton to play for right now. You know They're doing more in terms of where they're going to be in a year or two. And so do you want that time bomb on your team or do you want to cash it out because that's so important to getting better, especially when, you know, they're not particularly good right now?
1: All right. If we had more time, we would construct a Denver Phoenix trade on the air that would make sense for Bledsoe.
0: Yeah, but we don't. Okay. So anything else on the West? Like, okay. What was the hardest decision for you to make the hardest team to place?
1: I would say maybe Portland, Portland yeah. or Memphis. Memphis, because we're so close to the Conley injury and still there's so much we don't know about it
0: yeah i mean the time the timing on it and and also memphis is i've been talking about a little bit pick protection is one of my favorite things and that they do have this weird thing where they have you know they're they owe their pick to to denver again everything comes back to denver and but it's top five protected and i do not see a realistic path for them to get into the bottom five of the league this year
1: yeah i I think that would be a, a stretch unless you had the same kind of injuries as last year
0: I mean, even then, with the with the wins they've logged right now and unless they happen right away, you know, like if Marcus Gasol got hurt, heaven forbid, got hurt like this week, then, yeah, maybe you could do it. But if, if if they if they're relatively healthy until Christmas, I think that's enough time to, you know, let's say they win half their games by that point. They'll be at 16, 17 wins. Probably that's enough. That's enough. If you as long as you're not like a 20, 20 percent team to to make it fine.
1: Yeah, you got to lose a lot of games.
0: Got to lose a lot of games, even though the bottom is stronger this year. I mean that that is one of the takeaways of this year, and we'll get to that a little bit in the in the East. But I think the bottom is stronger, but it still takes a lot to fall that far when they're they're eleven and six right now.
1: Take eleven and seven. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're right. Eleven and seven. I was forgetting about the game they lost last night while wow, Connolly got hurt. Yes. Okay. Anything else in the West before we move to the East?
1: I think that wraps it up.
0: Okay. So we you said that we that we wanted to go bottom to top. Let's let's start at the bottom.
1: Oh, uh, we started at the bottom. Now we're here. They're still at the bottom, and <laughs> that's Brooklyn. I think at this point in a tier of their own to me.
0: Okay, so th- this will have. I understand. I think I know what you're getting at, and I, I understand it. I still have them not only with the Sixers, but with the Orlando Magic. Oh wow,
1: you're that upset about yet being benched, huh?
0: Oh no, I'm not. He he hasn't played. He hasn't played well enough to to anything. I mean, he's he struggled a lot, but. Because I'm growing more concerned that the magic problems are not fixable. I don't see, you know, point guards are so valuable to play, unless they made an Eric Bledsoe trade. But that would presumably require Aaron Gordon, and then that gets into a whole other thing. But they, they were doing the thing about, okay, so they're going to, they they wanted to start Vooch, They started Vucevic. Didn't really work. They boom to the bench. Then he starts griping. And then you have to get into all this kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting there watching, watching Vogel grasp at straws. And I'm sitting there going well, how is this going to work long-term? And then more importantly with them, if their offense is this bad, and I believe that it's somewhat close to realistic, how are they going to get wins consistently?
1: Yeah, their projections are p- pretty dire. 27 in uh, BPI, 29 in 538. But still, I think they're enough. They might be in the bottom tier in the West, but I think Brooklyn is far enough below them that to me they're in its separate tier.
0: Do we ha- Have you heard any timetable yet for updated timetable for Lynn? I have not. Yeah, because that's a a big problem because it exactly echoes last season. I mean, what happens, again, when two players at the same position get hurt at the same time? Like, Reeves Vasquez is already off their team now, and they just don't have enough guys outside of that. And I don't think that uh, Brook Lopez has played himself into like a locked-in spot on the Nets, which also means that there's the chance that they could... If they made a trade right now, my expectation would be that was a trade that made them worse in the short term.
1: Right. Even though they don't necessarily have the incentive to tank per se, they just, they're so far away from winning that their, their focus should still be long term instead of short term.
0: At least, though, there are some encouraging signs for them. I think Atkinson has done a nice job there. It's been lost a little bit because the talent just isn't there. But I think he's done a nice job. And your boy, Justin Hamilton, has, has looked good this year.
1: I feel good about that one. Yeah, for them to be 20th in offensive rating with the time that Jeremy Lynn has missed is uh, is pretty impressive. But the defensive end of the court has been uh, not, not pretty.
0: And there's not much of a way for that to get better. Maybe if they had signed Willie Reed, too.
1: Yeah. So I, I have them alone. I, even though Phoenix is similar or Phoenix rather, Philadelphia is similar in the projections. Those aren't obviously accounting for the return of Ben Simmons. And I think that and the possibility that maybe at some point Joel Embiid plays a few more minutes, you know, gets that minutes restriction increased or plays back to backs. Those two factors to me suggest that Philadelphia does not belong in that bottom tier.
0: Additionally, while Newland's Noel might not be a big part of the rotation, he helps. And no. if they trade him, he no matter what they will be getting something more than zero, unless they get a future draft pick. But they'll be getting something from that. And Bayless missed time early in the season. They dealt they they dealt with a kind of a variety of different issues at the same time. So if they got Simmons back, I think they're fundamentally like they're a different tier. And, and Orlando has that same positive upside. Would I be surprised if the Magic were in the? Were were in? I, I guess maybe the Magic are right in that mix for me, but the Sixers have the talent to be better than they've been, and Brooklyn might, but they definitely could get worse. Yeah. Okay. So so then so you have so you have so then is it one and one for you? So you have the, the Nets then the Sixers.
1: I think you have talked me into. I'll put Orlando and Philadelphia in that same tier.
0: Yay! Small in victory. C,
1: that's tier six. There's a lot of tiers I have in the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, I have I have fewer tiers, but it's I think it's it's just that split then. Okay, so then so that's five and six for you, or is that six and seven? Six and seven. Okay, so you have you definitely do have more than me.
1: I do. Yeah, uh, tier five then would be Washington, Milwaukee, Miami. So, okay.
0: Yeah, that basically I so I'm assuming the pivot piece for you there was was Indiana.
1: No, the pivot piece there for me was Washington, whether they belonged in that you know, legitimate playoff contender tier. And given where we came into the, what we came into the season thinking about them, they probably did, but their projections have have dipped pretty quickly to where they are, you know, by the statistical projections in the same realm is Milwaukee, for example.
0: While I like Jan Mahimi quite a bit and thought that he was a reasonable signing at that contract. It, It's hard for me to see him being the missing piece for their bench just because that's such a rare thing for a center to be, especially a low usage defensive minded center. It'll help. It certainly will help. But their flaws on the second unit don't seem correctable by that kind of player.
1: I mean... The one thing that you brought up in the 15 and 60, uh, this week with Nate was the fact that they are struggling so much that they're, they're actually playing pretty well defensively with their starting unit on the floor and that yeah. they've been terrible defensively with the bench. Like that's, you can't be both terrible offensively and defensively. Like you should be able to at least be competent at one of those two things. And maybe they will get there with Mahinmi off the bench. But again, this is another team like New Orleans. Yes, you've missed Mahinmi, but you've also had Bradley Beale healthy. You've had John Wall healthy except for the, times that he sat out for precautionary reasons are we sure that those guys are going to be healthy the rest of the year
0: they're also extremely shallow at the forward spots which gets into the depth issue where it doesn't take great players to miss the guys you have if you don't have replacements bingo yeah kelly Oubre going if you say go oh, kelly Oubre is going to be in their starting lineup for 15 games because Otto porter hurt his hand or something all of a sudden they're a very different team
1: this is the one team i think that has the best chance of maybe changing tiers because of a trade
0: Oh yeah, I've seen them as a as a buy now candidate. I mean, basically just echoing exactly what they did last year because they have the same the same system, the same incentives that led to trading a first-round pick with in my opinion too light of a too light of a protection on it for Markeith Morris are exactly present.
1: And then the fact that Ernie Grunfeld I don't know if we've ever gotten a firm report on this but appears to be under contract for next or it appears to be in the last season of his contract I should say there was the report in in April that he was under contract for this year but that puts a lot of pressure on him to make try to make the playoffs to keep his job.
0: It's amazing he still has that job to keep but as long as he does you see you see GMs make those kind of decisions and he'll he'll have the you know the, they're they 're all kind of the boat is all pulling in the same direction with that, whether you think it 's a good thing or not they 're going for the playoffs,
1: yeah, and maybe that does make sense when you look at the fact that john wall doesn 't have that long left on his contract i mean they 're not an especially young team, all of those factors, and then the fact that just it could have such a big impact for them because of the fact that. Even, you know, a competent bench piece would help them quite a bit. I think the big challenge for them though is going to be they don't really have expiring contracts to trade in that kind of a deal. They're going to have to try to find someone who's making relatively little money in return. I mean, maybe that's a Will Barden landing spot
0: will barton or maybe they're willing to include gortat in that deal and just basically kind of have have it where they they cycle him out and bring in like let's say they traded wow this is like gortat and a first to somebody for a talented wing of some sort
1: but the question is how many teams in the league are going to want to take on gortat's contract if you're not trading out another center in return
0: That's true. And also, not only do you have the positional the positional issue, but also the idea that teams are fundamentally optimistic about cap space. And so they go, oh, well, if he was an expiring contract, then maybe we would do it. But he's not. And so so you get into in those kind of things. And Washington does not have they basically they don't have a a one size fits all piece to make all these trades work. And considering we're working within the CBA, you kind of need to have that. That's why having a large expiring contract, even if the guy isn't good, can be incredibly useful.
1: Will Barton for Trey Burke and a lottery protected first works? Should we call that into the league?
0: I'd like to see them get something else, but that totally could happen. Oh, that totally could happen, and that would be a great trade for Denver. (laughs) Yes, it would be like if if they if they I mean the protection will matter. Like what number? And Sam Vecini and I talked. I, I don't remember whether it was on the podcast or not about the idea that maybe part of the reason they I it's it's kind of whether whether they were playing checkers or chess that Washington would have rather conveyed the pick last year than this year which is smart considering what it looks like is going to be the draft class. But if they do value this class, then maybe they can actually fight for stronger protection this year.
1: And then also the fact that they don't have to worry about being encumbered in ter- terms of trading future picks because that just gets wiped off now.
0: Right. And so, so I wanted to talk for a second, considering we're on the wizards. I don't know if you read the piece that I did about the John Wall extension, but it, it's hard to, it was hard to talk about because it did. I don't know why it didn't happen, but It feels like it made sense for both sides once they struck out on everybody they struck out on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where most teams are still not even in that mode. You know, they're they're thinking is if we have cap space, we need to use it to improve now. And, and again, that gets back to Grunfeld being in the last year of his contract. Whether John Wall's signed through you know 2018 or 2019 or 2020 or whatever, whenever, like it doesn't matter. What matters to him is trying to make the bench as good as it can right can be right now. It just turns out the money they spent did not help their bench whatsoever.
0: It didn't. And they haven't used their room mid-level exception yet, which makes sense because they don't really have anybody to use it on right now. But it's kind of the idea of what they would have lost is not that catastrophic relative to it. But I understand like you, you get into modes as a person, especially when they got so close on Al Horford by the reporting that's out there now to just go from that to, oh, well, let's see what we can do is kind of like value plays. But that that is the nature of being being a general manager in this league, or being in a front office, is that it's a lot of contingency plans because it all happens so fast.
1: The Horford is a pretty great what if.
0: Yeah, they would have been really good. Like they, I think he would have helped. He would have helped them a lot, and also been like some of the the stuff you read about the Wizards. Like I don't worry as much about the Wall Beal friction, and that became a big thing. But it's like you don't usually see those kinds of stories and that kind of thing on a team that that is kind of simpatico or that understands it and some of that might be just the relationships with the press but some of it is also that a guy like horford might have been able to fix some of that
1: or at least get them to keep it behind closed doors
0: right exactly yeah maybe, maybe that might even be a better way of putting it that you don't fix it but you you know reduce this reduce the the attention it's getting
1: did you see the garrett temple quote about that i think i did and you said i was surprised it came out this past off season because last year they got a log which was a great quote <laughs>
0: Okay, so I had trouble with Miami just because I think the most likely outcome is that they that they kind of fall off, but they have enough talent and they have a good coach and their defense has been great so far that I kind of kept them in this group, but it was a challenge.
1: There's no, you know, I went looking through this after listening to the 15 and 60 and there's nothing obvious in their defense that is ripe for regression i mean nate mentioned the defensive field goal percentage around the rim in particular with hassan whiteside has been terrific but you know i think that's possibly sustainable it's not like you know opponents are shooting 25 percent from three against them which is a way that miami has started well in the past so they're probably going to hang around i think it's really just a question of can they win enough games now that they stay in stay in the mix as opposed to going south
0: one of my favorite ridiculous trade ideas is the idea of Orlando trading for Dragic.
1: That I can see that. Because it, it, see it, that. it's
0: an align, it's an alignment of teams that have different priorities. And like, I remember when I heard the thing about the, the kid, the report about the Kings possibly thinking with Rudy Gay for Dragic. And I, at first I'm like, Oh, that's terrible value for him. And I was kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, they can use that space in a lot of different ways. And one of the challenges with next offseason, and I'm sure you and I will talk about this in, in various forms, is that there are a lot of teams that are going to have kind of like mid-level cap space, but there aren't a ton that are going to have just like this enormous wealth. And that's what you would want in a Dragic summer destination is a team that could just take him in. And so you can translate that into, well, if we think we're going to want something else, then why don't we just move him now?
1: Dragic for, Dragic for Jeff Green in a pick?
0: Yeah, that's what I would basically what I was thinking.
1: Or Hazonia? Jeff Green and Hazonia?
0: Well, I think you'd want. I think you'd want to pick instead of Hazonia.
1: probably. If yeah, you could,
0: if you could pull it off. I mean, you, that might be one where you're fighting about protection until the cows come home. But you could certainly do that. And also Miami, if you wanted to kind of sweeten it to make it a pick, they have a lot of these weird kind of lottery ticket guys. And so maybe, oh, we like Rodney Magruder. We like whatever one of these guys, and they add them in, and then that makes it makes it more balanced. yeah yeah. the magic don't it's this strange thing that other than dj augustine off the top of my head they don't really have any bad contracts it's just that they the overwhelmingly good one would probably be aaron gordon and they're not going to trade him unless it's for something amazing
1: well i you know i think where they're failing to get value is on guys who are on basically one-year contracts so jody meeks and then green cj watson would be the other one that's a bad contract
0: yeah, because he's just not not contributing enough. They, they I guess for them, they, they don't have the same problem the Wizards do, where the, they, they have filler salary, if that's what they need. And that's actually one of the funniest parts about what happened with Jeff Green, is that I saw one of the big values of Jeff Green, let's say he had signed the exact same contract with the Clippers, would have been the possibility of being traded. However, if he had signed a one-year deal, he would have had a no-trade clause. Yeah. Which would have been amazing, like, if it, if there was some, like, and, and I wonder who would have leaked this if Jeff, if it were a situation where the Clippers could get a good player, but Jeff Green rejected the trade. <laughs> he would become the biggest villain in that city. Like, you, you would love to do that, like, a week before the deadline to see if you could shame him into withdrawing his banning of it.
1: You're, you're assuming that people in LA care about the Clippers? Some people do. I say that not even in a mean-spirited way, just I know I know that... Anything that happened with Nick Young would make a bigger impact than whatever Jeff Green could have done with the Clippers.
0: Did, did we ever, I don't think we ever had the conversation because, you know, living down there in various moments, like I had the conversation with LA based writers and everything about how long would the Lakers have to be bad for the Lakers flag car flags to turn into Clippers flags? And the answer was a while right. and we didn't get it. Like the Lakers are already good enough to keep their fans.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true.
0: Like if you survived the Kobe era, this is, this is a wonderful dream for you. <laughs> Okay, so the, so so you have so then that tier. Let, let's recap what you had tier five as. So that was the the heat, the Washington,
1: wizards, yeah, and, and the bucks, and the
0: bucks. The bucks are are an interesting place because I don't think they're great, but they are good enough that basically if t- teams could fall past them,
1: you know, one of the interesting things about the bucks is I think that when I was thinking subjectively about their season there was a consideration that they're probably not going to be close enough in the playoffs to the playoffs for it to make the sense for them to push Chris Middleton to get back at the end of the year but if they are in the mix that could be a big pickup for them for the last you know 10 15 games of the season
0: absolutely that, that, that's a really good point point. and it's not like they you know the, they have him under contract long enough that it's not like they're taking that kind of a risk i mean granted when i read about his injury i actually like committed an audible scream because it just <laughs> sounded so horrifying I don't even really want to repeat it, but it was, but so they they have this talent. And also I think that they can get just internal improvement once they figure out what they have and, and try to balance it out. They can do that, but they also have the problem of, they don't have a ton of real assets in a, in a traditional sense, like the guys they have that are valuable, they want to keep.
1: I don't see much likelihood of that. I mean, I guess Middleton then potentially becomes their, their deadline addition.
0: Right. And he could be enough. He certainly could be, but yeah, they—they they, it's unless they were going to like trade a first-round pick or something like that, and there isn't a real clear-cut path because they want to see how good they are with Delvadova, Middleton, Giannis, and, and Jabari together, unless what they could get is kind of like a, the right fit at center and not have to worry about drafting somebody.
1: Which would require someone else probably to take on at least one of their centers.
0: Right. And if it's not... Plumlee or Henson, then you're committing a lot of money to that position and almost definitely going into the luxury tax.
1: Yeah, which I don't see that being the outcome for a Milwaukee team that is not going to win a playoff series no matter what.
0: Right. Before we move on in the Eastern Conference, I want to take a little bit of time to tell you about another Real GM Radio sponsor, Audible. So, okay, I'm interested to see whether our our Tier 4s are the same.
1: So my tier four is Indiana and New York.
0: Okay. They aren't the same because I'm lower on Chicago than you.
1: Wow. You have them that low. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. I have have Chicago tier two.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I I think that tier three is probably the most fair in that sense, but I really like all of the teams I have in tier three. And so for the bulls, Jimmy Butler has been spectacular. If he keeps this up, then, then they are tier three or maybe even tier two. And, I still, you know, maybe it's it's the whole idea of the prior expectations and the value that provides in the early part of a season. It feels to me like they're playing over their head defensively, and that if they, let's say they drop a couple points, a couple points per hundred possessions, a couple points per game, whatever matters more to you, that it will take them out of some of these games that they're winning. They've also had a lot of fortunate ones, like playing teams on the wrong day. And yes, they've done well in those circumstances, and they deserve full credit for that, But that good fortune generally does not continue. Like one team doesn't have the injury horseshoe the whole year.
1: So when Nate mentioned on the 15 and 60 that the Bulls could be the second best team in the East, I think I had maybe not quite as strong a reaction as you had to the Chris Middleton injury, but a similar reaction. And then, you know, I look it up in the statistical projections. BPI has them winning 50 games. 538 has them winning 50 games. 538 has them, I think they both have them third in the Eastern Conference. So I think you kind of have to put them there at this point. And the one thing I will say in defense of their expectations, or not in defense of their expectations, but is that if Fred Hoiberg were a new coach this year and everything had played out the way it has, I think we wouldn't have been surprised by it. Because this is kind of what we expected from Fred Hoiberg when he came in last year. And then the fact that it didn't happen and, you know, the, the Bulls players seem to react so poorly to going from Tibbs to Hoiberg. I think maybe probably unfairly tainted him in our eyes. And then particularly in the context of what they did this offseason and the thought of how is he going to coach, you know, Dwayne Wade and Rajan Ronda, these huge personalities. But if you think of Hoiberg as a first year coach, like this is what we expected. It's a, it's a solid, you know, d- defense that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And then an offense that has shared the ball, I think much better than we expected.
0: They also have the the critical mass that is necessary of competent basketball players to stay to stay afloat. Like I don't love their point guards, but you know having guys like McDermott and Miritich and Gibson, however, you're going to make that work. And their centers are good enough that they can they can weather a lot of different storms. And considering their their star players don't necessarily fit well together, that could in some ways work to their advantage eventually.
1: Yeah, I mean. And the, I think one thing we talked about, you know, the uh, the lack of staggering in Oklahoma City, and I think Fred Hoiberg has done a pretty good job of that. It, I mean the Wade the Wade only lineups have still not been very good, but at least they give you an offensive focal point with those, you know, those second units.
0: Yeah. So if they if they were the let's say they were the in the second tier in the East, maybe even the second best team, would, would where would they rank among best teams that do not have a good point guard on their roster? Hmm because like that doesn't happen very often. I mean, like look at what happened to Utah last year. Like Utah was a very good team overall, but they got sabotaged by the one and they didn't even make the playoffs.
1: Would it be wrong if I said San Antonio?
0: Ooh. And,
1: and if it would be wrong, would it be wrong because of Patty Mills?
0: It would be wrong because of Patty Mills. Yeah. Like that, that ties in with the Spurs that I'm I'm so excited to see what Pop does with this team long-term. Like who closes, who starts and how they balance all that because he he is somebody who can pull off the The ruthless decision if he wanted to but that's just that's the reason that he doesn't is because is part of why he's so great yeah so yeah i don't know how they're gonna make that work they he did light a fire it looks like under pal a little bit and that that's helping out but they just don't have that many they don't have that many things to try if it doesn't work unless deadman is awesome which he actually has been when he's been able to be on the court
1: yeah that i'm although britons has played surprisingly well is a center in his absence
0: it's true a little bit of the map honor yeah so, oh, I was actually even though it's a West thing, I realized I wanted to talk with you about this. So there were three three guys that all centers that signed for the room mid level at during the summer that were prominent. It was Deadman. Zaza Nene and Deadman. If you it, let's let's say from a Warriors perspective, just to to make it to, so we can talk more about the Warriors, how would you rank them, knowing what we know right now? For which, like, if if the Warriors knew today, what would happen from that point to now? how would they how would they order their preferences for those three guys
1: i think deadman would be number 1 because of the fact that we've seen kind of in Javale is basically, and this seems bizarre to say it, but he's basically a poor man's twain. deadman at the for them at this point in terms of, you know, the guy that you can throw a lob to and is a pick and roll threat, and then the the athletic rim protector. Deadman's just a much more focused and consistent rim protector than Javale is, despite having so much less NBA experience and basketball experience in general. So I, I think Deadman would still be would be number one. Nene and Zaza, I mean, I think you'd be seeing some of the same things with Nene as you're seeing with Pachulia. Probably not to the same extent, though, just because he's a better athlete. So I probably would put Nene ahead of Pachulia. And that that surprises me because it seemed like such a huge coup for them to get Pachulia at that price over the summer.
0: It did, but we also didn't know that the Rockets were going to get Nene for the same price. That that in some yeah. ways is a more shocking was a more shocking one, just because there wasn't the same incentive structure in play. And I thought there were going to be good offers for him. The other reason why I would go Nene over Pachulia is that inevitably, hopefully, in the playoffs, the Warriors will go more heavily to Draymond at center lineups, and Nene is a better fit to be kind of like a a key piece of a non death lineup Warriors lineup. So let's say it's like Livingston and Nene and some of the. Swingman and all that kind of stuff. Like he works better in that than Petrulia does, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, the the upside that we saw with Petrulia was you know his ability to make plays from the high post in the same way that Bogut did last year, and it doesn't feel like they've actually used that all that much.
0: Periodically, they they have these moments where they can do that, and then they they realize, oh, we have Kevin Durant who's better at doing that. They, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the luxury of being the Warriors.
0: <laughs> it is okay. So, anything more? So, I I had a little bit of trouble placing the Pacers just because they've looked so bad at points. But a lot of that was at the beginning, and then they've they've had a nice stretch. Teague is playing a lot better, and then once they get Paul George back, he's a huge difference maker.
1: What do we make of the fact that they've won some some impressive games without Paul George?
0: I don't know what to make of those games. I watched a portion of that Clippers Pacers game because I couldn't believe what was happening. And <laughs> what I was watching was it, it It reminded me a lot of that Warriors Lakers game early in the season where just nothing went right for the better team. And so they just lost. And th- that was how it worked. I also watched the Pacers Thunder game, which was super weird for a lot of different reasons. So They've been better, they're competitive, but I don't read too much in that like, oh, they're, they're improved over what I thought they'd be, though they are getting more from guys like Glenn Robinson than I expected.
1: Yeah, he's been a revelation. The projections are way down on the Pacers: thirty-seven wins from BPI, thirty-six from five thirty-eight. To me, I think they kind of are who we thought they were. They're a little bit better than five hundred, a team that's going to be better on offense than last season, but not nearly as good defensively, and then not at all the kind of threat in the East that you know some of some of the people really liked what they did in the off season thought we thought that they were even a, you know conference finals contenders,
0: and. They still are very dependent on Miles Turner, you know, Al Jefferson, that game against the Warriors. I mean, granted, there were a lot of reasons they were going to lose that game, but Jefferson looked really out of place in a way that they can't really correct. And their point guard situation, like not only if Teague gets hurt, but if Teague doesn't play well, they do not have many other options.
1: No, they certainly do not.
0: But they've done a good job without Paul George, which is better than I ever expected. So kudos, kudos to them for that basically top to bottom so then it
1: is by the way a classic nate mcmillan thing the the worst talent you give nate mcmillan the better results he is going to get out of it every (laughs) single time
0: (laughs) that's totally true and exactly the type of the type of read on it that i would expect you to make (laughs) okay tier three so do we have the same tier three hawks hornets pistons we do yeah yeah
1: i I mean i to me, the, to me, the Hornets were the only ones that you can make a case for them maybe being the second tier. 538 has them at 47 wins, six wins ahead of Atlanta and Detroit. And I'm, I'm surprised that Atlanta is that low. BPI is more in line with my expectations for those teams. Hawks at 46, Hornets 45, Pistons 43. But again, that doesn't factor in the fact that they're going to get Richie Jackson back entirely.
0: I like those teams together because they all have kind of similar paths. Like they're they're, they're good, but they're not great enough that they're going to just like go on this huge tear and they're not bad enough to lose like four or five in a row. And the Pistons are worse right now, but getting Reggie back is going to be a huge help for them. And the Hawks at one time this year, I mean, especially after they beat Cleveland, I would have had them in tier two, but watching them in person, watching them more over the last couple weeks, I do not trust their offense at all.
1: I still can't quite put my finger on why they aren't better. I mean, I guess it's the fact that they're not getting the shooting from the wings that you would have hoped.
0: It's, it's a combination of a lot of different things. I mean, so they, they downgraded in terms of offensive capability kind of in three places at once. So they downgraded at point guard just going from Teague and Schroeder to Schroeder and Delaney, though Delaney has played well they but shooter shooter would have been a better fit like if they had played him and kind of kept everything else the same kept horford instead of howard i think their offense would be better but it, it th- those issues compound each other because shooter has less space to work and so you can play both of them by collapsing in and that ties in and then also corver not being you know not being what he was in his prime which is not surprising has also contributed i mean last night which is one game, and I've you know, watched you watch plenty more, but he's missing shots that used to be automatic even before he had that little
1: resurgence. Wait, did Kyle Corver have an offensive rebound last night because before last night he did not have an offensive rebound this season That's kind of impressive in its own way I, I don't know who, Kyle Corver is the uh, is, if there's any precedent for that, he did get an offensive rebound.
0: Oh, and also last night, Clay Thompson got an offensive rebound put back in and one. I almost fell out of my chair.
1: Yeah, that was a nice play. Yeah, anyway, I was trying to watch that game and like figure out that and also why the Hawks starting lineup is no good because that doesn't particularly make sense to me. And I mean, maybe it's because Schroeder played so well and was shooting uh, unsustainably well from mid-range, but I, I don't feel like I got any good sense of that.
0: If shooter could play against Stephen Curry every night, he would do a lot better. <laughs> like that, Curry has this weird flaw against waterbug point guards because they just it doesn't fit, and it's not the type of guy that Clay does well on too. So shooter shooter does well against the Warriors. It's just something that something that's happened to actually. Teague, Teague can as well. And, but also the Warriors just like Curry, sometimes it looked like he was just getting beat. Other times it looked like he was kind of executing the scheme, but it was the scheme from last year when they had <laughs> Bogut and Azili back there. And it's like, yeah, letting Dennis Schroeder drive against Bogut and Azili is not the worst thing in the world, but letting him do that against Zaza Pachulia and JaVale to a point. Yeah, that, that can be a problem. And Schroeder gotten a lot better to his credit at reading that that helper and making the passage wide. He had two or three just beautiful passes last night, but he doesn't create that separation enough to really use it.
1: Yeah, and despite that I still think the fact that he hasn't played very well is probably one of the primary factors in the offense struggling and the starting line right. struggling.
0: I so. agree with you. And their defense has been great and that they still haven't been able to really kind of push it beyond that when when they've had this advantage is it kind of is, is another reason for me that they're tier three and not tier two
1: yeah so i think that makes sense for them i mean charlotte the fact that they've got balance with top 10 potentially a top 10 offense and defense maybe makes the case for them but i still think they have a lower ceiling than those top four teams in the east
0: i will note that you've also completely convinced me to put the bulls at least in tier three because i was stupid to put them in tier four
1: all right well i got that going for me which is nice
0: Anything else on tier three? I think that's it's weird that those teams are just—they're all teams I think we enjoy, and that that are—it's an accomplishment to be there, but there isn't that much to say.
1: No, no. except that
0: Kemba's been amazing.
1: He indeed he has, and yeah, it's been a great year for point guards in the East. I would say that that Eastern Conference playoff point or Eastern Conference All-Star point guard is going to be almost as difficult as in the West this year in some ways.
0: I'm not sure the West one is difficult anymore
1: because it's just obviously Curry, Paul, Lillard. Westbrook, West, no, Kawhi Westbrook, yeah, the Lillard, Will- Lillard, and Willard,
0: so. if they can get a wild card spot to squeeze him in,
1: yeah, four point cards is tough to fit on a roster, es- if especially no considering
0: experience. Harden's going to have to make it.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so no shooting guards make the roster in the West, do they?
0: It, it, depending on how we're going to count Harden, I can, I still think of Harden as a two, but either way, yeah. The fact, no, that, no, I didn't, the fact like, that I like, didn't is Clay Thompson going to make it? I, I'm not. I'm not sure that he is.
1: Oh Clay, yeah, hey, that's okay. That's that's going to be tough too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I mean, the the West is just so good right now. And then you have this the weirdness that is going to be the, the like the center slash front court stuff with all the guys who are doing putting up huge numbers on bad teams versus the guys who are, you know, kind of the other ones in the mix. But I don't think the, the West is going to have to deal with legacy spots for guys like Dirk and everything like that. So that's that is useful because that was a big problem with Kobe,
1: but they still need to expand the rosters to 13. I think.
0: Oh, yeah, I think they should expand it to 15.
1: That'd be fine, but at least thir- uh, 13 since that matches the number of active players now on the roster.
0: Yeah, th- no, they should just make it 15 but have two guys inactive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you could have guys who are in there, the Legacy guys or... Uh... There's also could be guys who are just not that fun to watch in the All-Star game, but deserve to be voted All-Stars, like LaMarcus Aldridge should be in an inactive All-Star.
0: Oh, I would completely support that. I would also support the idea of having guys that would be fun, like have maybe you have a certain quarter, like maybe the second quarter, for guys who aren't good enough to make the All-Star game, but can just play in it for a quarter. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, Zach Levine would probably be a good guy for this. He is not an All-Star by any shape of the imagination at, some, at this point, but he would be fantastic in that game.
1: Bill Simmons used to always say that they should make sure that Jason Kidd was always on the roster. So I think someone in that vein, too.
0: Yeah. Making sure you have ball handlers and all that. But those guys are making the All-Star Game now.
1: But not necessarily the the ultra pass first point cards. So we need Ricky Rubio in the All-Star Game is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Let's put him on the East. <laughs>
1: We're just putting the Minnesota backcourt in the All-Star Game. Who'd yeah.
0: They- every <laughs> single player on the Minnesota Timberwolves, except for Gorji Jang, is better in an All-Star Game than in a regular game. This might be part <laughs> of their problem. Because Wiggins is, too. Like, Wiggins certainly fits this bill.
1: Yeah. All right, second tier in the East, I have Toronto, Boston, Chicago, and Toronto, with Toronto yeah. at the top of that right now.
0: I don't think there's there's much arguing it. I, I think the Celtics will end the year with a better record than the Raptors, but the Raptors have been better so far, mostly because they've been healthier.
1: I'm not convinced of that. I mean, 538 has Toronto seven games up on Boston. BPI wow. has Toronto five games up on Boston. I, I think the Celtics will close that a little bit because, again, as we've been saying, the projections don't entirely account for the fact that Crowder and Horford were out and they've been so much better without them. But I still think that's, you know, especially when you consider it's not a sizable gap in the standings because they're only a game up, but Toronto has already played some of the most difficult part of its schedule.
0: Yeah, they had, they've had had some brutal stretches so far. The, the schedule makers didn't do them any favors, particularly with that Cavs-Warriors back-to-back, which is just filth. But yeah, they played good teams all over. And and they also, I, I don't know what their home road split has been so far, but it seems like they played a lot of challenging road games too.
1: According to BPI, let's see, Toronto, I believe, has the easiest schedule remaining in the league, has played the sixth hardest thus far and second hardest among East teams. So
0: That's a good point. Who's played the hardest?
1: The hardest schedule has been the Los Angeles Lakers.
0: Interesting. Yeah. They played the Warriors three times. I'm that'll, sure that helps. That'll help.
1: That will help. They haven't
0: has there been a Lakers Clippers game yet? I don't think so. I know there's one uh, on Christmas.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Okay, so so with this group, would you would you have it? I see part I think part of the reason why I would have Chicago in tier 3 as opposed to tier 2 is that I would be surprised if they finished above the Celtics and or the Raptors.
1: Uh yeah, I would be a little surprised by that, but depending on how injuries go, again, I mean they're projected ahead of them right now in in both of those projections.
0: Is if you had to pick one of these teams to to join Cleveland, I assume it wouldn't be to supplant them in, in tier one. Who would it be? I
1: guess Boston has the most upside of these teams. It's so hard to see any of them doing it though.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly why Cleveland is tier one for me. It's just because there there there's a separation there because I don't see a rational path. A I mean, reason, it, a reasonably a reasonably likely path. I see a rational path. I don't see a reasonably likely one.
1: Right. It's it's injuries, it's serious injuries to the Cleveland Stars, is basically it. Yeah. And basically LeBron, I mean, if Kyrie Irving goes down, I think they could survive that based on what they've done in the past. But you, if you're gonna, if you were gonna beat Cleveland for home court, you would have had to be leading them at this point, I think. And nobody else is anywhere close to them in the standings.
0: They've so. also done a much better job of figuring out how to use their front court depth. Like the fact that, like, so last year at this point, they still hadn't, I think they still hadn't brought Tristan Thompson in the starting lineup. You know, they were still starting Mozgov and dealing with all that stuff. And they did have Delvadova. Kyrie hadn't played a game yet at this point in the year. And Cleveland isn't going to have that same drive during the regular season because like the Warriors, they don't have anything to prove. But it's a lot harder to catch them from behind than do what kind of what the Hawks did and just be ahead.
1: Exactly. Especially because of the fact that then, you know, maybe they give up at some point and don't worry about the fact that they're not the number one seed. But in this case, you know, if they are the number one seed, it's easy for them to protect that.
0: What would you say just off like off the top of your head? What do you think the odds are that Cleveland ends up with the best record in the league? Because I think that's not going to happen. Probably.
1: Yeah, I would say maybe maybe 10 to 15 percent. I think they have a better chance of winning the championship than they do of finishing with the best record in the regular season. That's an interesting
0: question. Yeah, I, I think I think you could certainly make that argument, considering the drive just isn't there, especially if, as we expect, that the other teams in the East just aren't going to stack up. I mean, at that point, especially if they're uh, kind of going in line with what we just said, if they're behind the Warriors and maybe even behind the Clippers, then what's the point of pushing just for that? It's a very abstract thing to use as your motivation.
1: What's amazing to me is that, they, that as well as Love is playing, as well as Kyrie has played, they still can't figure out how to win without LeBron. He's really good, though. I mean, he is really good. But the whole point of why we thought this team was going to be very good, and lo and behold, they you know, did win a championship, is because of the fact that we were looking at, okay, they've got two other guys. It doesn't have to be just LeBron like it was the last time he was in Cleveland. And yet it's still, at least when he's sitting out games entirely, it's still just LeBron. The rest of Cleveland's roster should still be better than, I mean, competitive with Indiana. You're on the road, so that's a tough game. And it was the second of a back-to-back. But still, the fact that they have—I when was the last time they won a game that LeBron didn't play?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I do. I'm not completely sure of the answer. But so, okay, Cleveland this year, and of course, it is a relatively small sample. They're scoring 104.7 points per hundred possessions with Kyrie on the floor and not LeBron. And I think that's kind of part of it is that they just don't have like Kyrie is a wonderful player, but I still don't believe in him necessarily as being the primary ball handler on a reliably successful offense.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's much better when he's able to be that kind of second option, play off the ball.
0: It, it, the best thing that happened for his legacy, and I generally don't care about legacy talk, but the best thing that happened for him was LeBron coming back because he would have. I think he would have just become that kind of guy where it's just you know he's good, he's really fun to watch. He'll have those fifty-five point nights, but now he's a champion. Now he gets that on the resume forever and hitting that shot. And he has the perfect player alongside him
1: and, and gold medalist. Uh, by the way, I looked this up. They they did win a game without LeBron last year. They were one in five. They beat Dallas on March sixteenth. Ooh. It can be done.
0: It can be done. And they probably will have to well, they won't have to do it, but they'll they'll have the chance to do it because Cleveland do pulling off what they did last year with basically just having LeBron take some time and, and doing everything. I think that is gonna have a really long ranging impact on the stars of this generation. I think we're already seeing it with the Warriors that they're not they're not pushing it in the same way. And that resonance is felt even harder in Cleveland than anywhere else because it was just confirming everything they did. Yeah. Okay, so we'll end this on—we've we, already alluded to it a couple times, but if you were to—the teams that you think are most likely to change tiers in a positive direction or in a negative direction?
1: Uh, Let's see here. So I think Memphis definitely could slip a tier if they really struggle without Conley or he's out longer than we expect. And Denver's got a decent chance—Denver and Minnesota both have a decent chance of jumping up a tier— based on their talent and in denver's case in particular the way they, the you know, the underlying fundamentals of how they've played this year dallas has a pretty good chance of dropping a tier They that might be the the best case in mind you already had them in that tier so so you that wouldn't change anything for you uh washington could certainly jump up a tier because of a trade or just getting yan Mahimi back otherwise the east looks fairly set to me i think how about you
0: I'm so low on Orlando. They can, or did I did I already move them up? I think I already moved them up when we were talking during. I think you convinced me. Did you? I can't remember. But so, I think so, yeah. So if Orlando, if we're put, if I'm putting them in the tier with Miami, then I think they're the team in the East that's most likely to drop, and the team most likely to go up is the Wizards. And in the in the West, the most likely thing for me is to is to clarify what you already did, which is to move the Warriors above everyone else. So then the Warriors, I guess the Warriors would stay in the same tier. The Clippers and Spurs would drop. And then a further clarification of what you are another thing that you already did, which is whether the some team with the Pelicans, Lakers, and Wolves can kind of or the Nuggets drop off the group with the Thunder and the Grizzlies.
1: Yeah, so it'll be interesting when you revisit this with uh, someone else where they land on all of this.
0: Yeah, and how that how that month will change it, and part of what's going to be fun about having different guests with it is that it's not going to be the same person each time, so maybe they'll be like, oh, well, I, I disagreed with you guys on this, and so, but that that's the fun of the whole thing. Yep. Anything else you want to share? I know people should definitely read your Conley piece, which just came out.
1: Yeah, and then uh, the other thing I've got coming, uh, I don't know when this will post, but it may already be up by then, is a piece on the difference between the Timberwolves and the first and second halves.
0: Nice, I'm looking forward to reading that.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Kevin Pelton for taking the time. You can, should, and must read him at ESPN Insider, and you can also follow him on Twitter at k pelton. That's K-P-E-L-T-O-N. His Conley piece is great. It was an invaluable resource for me in kind of processing what that really meant in terms of Conley being out, let's say, six to eight weeks. We don't know exactly, even at this point. It's just, you know, when an injury is that long, you never know for sure. And then going through the whole league, it's it's a big undertaking. And as you probably guessed with some of the context, we recorded this on Tuesday before the games, and then I'm putting it out Wednesday before the games, but most of you will probably listen to it on Thursday. And there were a couple of outcomes on Tuesday in particular that changed a few of the things. That is the nature of the business, not the biggest devastating thing in the world. We always understand that, but that context is somewhat important. And the goal here is to do this podcast... Ideally is the first podcast of every month if I could schedule it if I could make this happen I'd love to have it come out around the 1st every month as well and that kind of gives me a motivation to refocus on the league make sure I'm make sure I'm on everything and have an idea of this and I like the process of figuring out, okay, who who is where, what what is representative, what is not, and all that. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. So that is going to be—the tar- the target right now is for that to be a regular feature. This will be the December episode. That will also do it January, February, March, and April. That is the tentative plan. Probably going to have somebody different for each one of those episodes. There are more than enough capable guests and everything like that. So I appreciate all of the support. And input that we get, it, it a lot of different ways they can come in. You can message me on, you can email Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. And those, those are probably the best ways in terms of everything else. And there are a lot of ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe, download every episode, leave a rating, leave a review. Definitely check out our sponsors. I love that these two are both free trials. so That means you can see if you like it. BlueApron.com/slash/realgm three meals for free free shipping check it out I'm th- I think you'll really enjoy it and then Audible Audible.com/slash/trynow you get a free audiobook and you get a month trial I'm a big fan of their service just my sister has been urging me to listen to the uh, the new Trevor Noah audiobook he he just had a book that came out and I'm probably gonna start listening to that in the next couple days so big fan of Audible big fan of everything there. Also thrilled to be part of the CLNS Radio family. You can use their app to listen to this podcast and many other ones. And it's a great group of things, especially for those of you on the East Coast, in the Boston area particularly. But it is a growing family, so they're, they're going to ha- hopefully have more things like Real Jam Radio in the stable in the very near future. So thanks again to everybody for listening, your support. I, I continue to love doing the show and we'll keep on doing it for the foreseeable future. So thanks again for listening. Take care and make it a great day.